0: week three out of four of our series you asked for it and the next series that we're going to be doing is called I asked for it and I get to ask you guys questions how's that does that work no we're not going to do that but but boy there are a lot of days when I'd like to do that and uh and ask you questions but that's not how it works um, the series has been a lot of fun. I think uh, I hear lots of good comments and people seem to be enjoying it. And it's good to talk about some of these things. And the church should be the safest place to talk about anything, right? Right. Okay. All right. And that goes for me too. Not just to safe for you, but it's got to be safe for me to get out here and talk about this stuff. Or it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. Uh, you may have noticed that just for this series... Uh, I've been a little quiet on Twitter about the topics and the text, And uh, usually, normally by Wednesday or Thursday, I'll tweet out the subject and the text and say, "Hey, hey, Keeners, uh, here's the text for this Sunday, and you can you can get your head there and start reading ahead and all of that." Uh, I haven't been for for this series, and uh, but I will I will again uh, once we get through this. Uh, before I forget. If you were paying attention, or I shouldn't say that, but if you noticed, if you were here uh, for video announcements, and Pastor Jay was talking about my midweek Bible study, uh, that's been going really, really good. the uh, First couple of weeks, we had like 130 people each night. Uh, last week was a little lower due to Lecrae and no parking, and, uh, and a bunch of you were down here in the mosh pit jumping around with the teenagers. Last Wednesday night, I said to the midweek group, how many of you are going to Mercy Me next Wednesday? And like all of them raised their hands, like the entire group. And so we realized, okay, that's a, that's a bit of a problem. So no midweek Bible study with PT this coming week, and we're going to move it. The last one in the book of Mark, we're going to move it to Wednesday, May the 6th, okay? So and that's, that's, I think that was clear. That's it about that. Um, so we gave you a couple of weeks ahead of this series for you to give us your questions, and we're answering a few of your questions in the series. Obviously, we can't answer all of your, all of your questions. Um, some of you are still writing questions on the comment cards, and the questions get worse every week. The questions are going downhill, so you can stop now, Okay. This series, there's only two, this today and next Sunday, and we're set. We have all the topics, and uh, we love you, but you can stop writing all those uh, funny questions on your cards. And um, a few of you asked similar questions about hell. H-E, double hockey stick. And so here we go. And and the questions were, they were, you know, different. Uh, Like, is it a real place? Why did God create it? Why would God Send people there, you know, nice happy questions like that. So I'm going to do my best this morning to help us understand what the Bible says about hell. Aren't you excited about coming to church this morning so you can hear about hell? He's going to preach on hell. Now, if you invited someone, or, if you're, or this is your very first time here. He does not preach on hell every week. We did turn the temperature up, though, just for today. (laughs) Seat warmers. Man, is it hot in here? No one wants to talk about hell. Try it someday. You know, invite somebody out for a hell coffee. (laughs) Just just try it. Nobody wants to talk about hell. And we're all good with, with heaven and eternity, but not so much the other place. And there was there was a time. In fact, I grew up in a time. I was born in '69, and, and I was in church six times a week, whether I wanted to or not. And there was a time when we preached on hell a lot. And if you've been going to church for a long time, you might remember some of those days. You know, the turn or burn. You know, you remember some of those and hellfire and brimstone and literally, literally scaring people into heaven and uh, scare the hell right out of you, literally. That was the goal, right? To scare hell right out of you and and scare people into heaven. And we wrestle with with the concepts of uh, justice and punishment. We do. We all do, I think. And why would God require a penalty or a price to be paid? And it's hard in our minds to reconcile the God of love uh, and the God of justice and we, we wrestle with this in our own lives. At least, at least I do. See if any of this sounds familiar to you. If, if I roll a stop sign, it's okay. No big deal. I'm in a hurry. And it's just a stop sign. And it's just, it's just a minor infraction. But when I see someone else roll a stop sign, all of a sudden it's different. All of a sudden it's like, it's like you know, hey, hey, you know, Mr. Above the Law, like, what part of stop don't you understand? Like, that's how, this is exactly how I think. Like, maybe those signs need to be a brighter shade of red. Like, 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 you know, it's there for a reason, buddy. Use it. But when I roll a stop sign, it's like, oh, it's just a stop sign. It's no big deal. How many of you have ever in your lives, ever, ever in your lives, gone over the speed limit? Come on, you're in church. Okay, keep, no, keep your hands up. We're taking names. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I speed, you know, if, I, if you see me going by you in my little orange clementine out on Wheeler Boulevard, I don't want to get caught, right? But what goes through my mind when somebody goes by me? They're going to get you. <laughs> I'm praying that there's a speed trap on the other side of that hill. There's nothing I would love more than to drive by that person while they're getting their ticket from the, from the officer. What? I'm not alone, am I? What is, what, is, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? All right, here's one more. How many of you count items in the baskets ahead of you in the express line? You're so judgmental. You're so... And you're thinking, you're just standing there with your nine items, and they've got their 11, and you're thinking, there ought to be a place for people. Like, I, just want to, I just want to beat you with my cucumber. <laughs> what part of 10 or less? It's 10 or less. Is that, that's not hard to understand. It's 10 or less. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> Banished. <laughs> no more shopping for you. Banished. Wow. Hell is not an easy subject, but it is, it's mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned a lot. Uh, Jesus mentioned it, and he, he talked about it quite a bit. And we need to have a good biblical understanding of it. It's, it's important because what you believe about the end affects how you live in the now. What you believe about the end affects how you live in the now. So let's jump to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, verse 19, Jesus is teaching about a rich man and a homeless man and what happens when they die. Luke 16, 19, here we go. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Thank you for all the detail, Luke. Luke was a doctor, did we mention that? And he loved detail. If you like detail, read the book of Luke, you'll love it. Verse 22, finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. So Abraham, in case you were wondering, Abraham did make it to heaven. So he's carried off to Abraham. And the rich man also died, and he was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. In the Greek translation of that word dead is the word Hades, and it means hell. And There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. And the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. And no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, At least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. And Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and and turn to God. Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, They won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. This is not the only place that Jesus talks about hell, and this is not the only graphic detail that Jesus gives us about hell. So back to uh, verse 19. Back to verse 19. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. It's not a sin to be rich. It's a sin to be rich and ignore those around you who have needs. It's a sin to think that, that life is all about you and to amass your wealth with no regard for the poor and the widows and the orphans and people with real needs who are lying right outside our doors. Now the rich man is nameless. He just says there was a certain rich man. He, he doesn't have a name. He's nameless, nameless with Jesus. Just another rich guy that uh, Jesus doesn't know him. They're not close. Um, But Jesus knows the beggar. He's on a first-name basis with the beggar. The beggar's name is Lazarus. And this sermon, though it's not about poverty and, uh, and outreach, we need to be reminded of Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus said that whatever you've done for the least of these, the hungry, the naked, the widow, the orphan, you've done for me. As a follower of Jesus, you, you can't lock these, these people outside your gate. They need to come to your table. They can't be nameless and faceless margins of society. We have to make it personal. And so just hearing the beggar's name, when Jesus says there's a certain rich man, you don't know his name, but when, he's, when he says there was a beggar whose name was Lazarus, now it's personal. Then those issues are are real and personal. It gives us empathy and mercy. Somebody named that boy Lazarus. He's someone's son. He's a real person with real needs, and he's someone who Jesus loves. In fact, if you want to see other places where Jesus talked about hell, you can go back to Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus uses some really strong language. And says that if you ignore them, the least of these, the widows and the orphans and and, and, and those out on the margins, if you ignore them, Jesus says, you ignore me and you'll spend eternity in the eternal fire prepared for Satan and his demons. So I think we know how Jesus feels about that pretty, pretty, pretty strongly. The rich man was covered in fine purple linen. Lazarus was covered in open sores. The rich man lived in the lap of luxury. Lazarus laid on the cold stone hoping he might get a scrap or two. And they both die. And they both go off into eternity as will uh, all of us. The mortality rate is still at 100%. And Jesus makes it perfectly clear that there are two distinct options for where we'll spend eternity. And in eternity... The tables have turned in, in this story. Lazarus is, is having a dark roast coffee with Abraham. Black. There are, there's no decaf in heaven, by the way, just in case. Don't, that's important to know. And so Lazarus is in heaven with Abraham with their feet up having a dark roast. No more scraps. No more sores. No more begging. And that Jesus identifies Abraham in this story, gives us a gives us a little peek, this little open window in, into heaven. In other words, you're going to know people in heaven. Now, you won't remember everything from this past life, you're going to be glad to know that. You're not going to remember everything, otherwise it wouldn't be heaven. If you could remember everything from this place, it would not be heaven. But apparently, you're going to know people in heaven. Um, you don't have to worry about running into that old flame from junior high in heaven. You might run into them, but you won't remember everything. Heaven isn't Facebook. <laughs> isn't that good news? That's <laughs> Thank God for that. And you will be you. Abraham is Abraham in heaven. You will be you in heaven. Lazarus is Lazarus in heaven. But you will be the best you that you have ever been. So when Lazarus dies, he gets carried off to heaven by the angels. I'm going to get picked up in a Porsche, by the way. That's how I'm going. And when the rich man dies, he gets buried. Now notice this. Lazarus gets carried off to heaven. The rich dude gets buried. It's better to be carried than buried. All right? Better to be carried than buried. The rich man goes to Hades when he dies. And we also get a peek into that window. He's not instantly consumed. He's he's there, but he's not not just, you know, burnt up by everything and that's it and it's over real quick. He's not instantly consumed. He's not in Vegas. Okay, it's not pool tables and and, uh, slots and, you know, he's not having a good time with his buddies. He's in torment. And part of his torment is being able to see Lazarus hanging out with Abraham. Isn't that interesting? Verse 24. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. Interesting how he he shouts to Abraham. might have even snapped his fingers, hey, 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 Abraham, like he's his butler. And he barks demands at Lazarus like he's his servant. Hell has not made this guy smarter. It he's still him in hell. He's still oblivious. He still thinks it's all about him. He still thinks he's better than, than Lazarus. Hey, hey, guys, the flames are a little hot down here. I could use a little water. Could you send the beggar guy, send him to come and, and, and help me out, cool me off a little bit? Verse 25, Abraham said to him, Son, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. He's here being comforted and you are in anguish. Abraham sends him the clue phone and says it's ringing for you. Abraham gives him a little history lesson. And he reminds him of his life. And this is another glimpse into eternity. Part of the eternal separation of hell will be remembering all the chances that you had to live differently, to make different decisions. That's part of the, the separation from God, part of, the, part of eternity. Well, Why would a good God send people to a hot hell? Well, let me answer the question with another question. Jesus did that often. Why would smart people ignore a good God? Why do people see evidence of God all around them and still choose to go their own way? Why do good people resist Jesus? And what Abraham does here is he reminds him, dude, like you had your chance. In fact, God put his opportunity right outside your gate, he laid Lazarus right at your gate, and he had to trip over it. Like it was so obvious. You had to, like, step over it and around it and and ignore it. Even when you saw the dogs licking Lazarus' sores, you wouldn't change. And the, the rich man loved himself more than his neighbor. He loved money more than the Lord's ministry. And he wouldn't take the risk of catching whatever Lazarus had. And he got life wrong. And he thought that it was all about self and the accumulation of stuff. And he got it wrong. Uh, we saw this last, last Wednesday in our midweek Bible study um, when a, a, in Mark chapter 12, a Pharisee with a soft heart, there actually were a few Pharisees with soft hearts, uh, was truly seeking to know the truth. And he approached Jesus and he asked him, he said, which of the 613 laws, which one is the most important? What is the greatest commandment of them all? And Jesus replied, it's Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 29 to 31. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the order. I think we'll put it up on the screen for you here. This is the order from Mark chapter 12. This is what the rich guy did not get right. This is what we all need to get right. This is how Jesus responds to what is the greatest commandment. He says, love the Lord your God. Love God with everything you have. Love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then he said, love your neighbor. Love the Lazaruses of this world as yourself or greater than yourself. That's the order. Verse 26. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. No one can cross over to us from there. Uh, These these two words here, right at the beginning of verse 26, and besides, uh, Abraham was saying, that's not all. (laughs) There's more. And besides, it's like it it gets worse. And on top of that, Abraham says, not only am I, am I not sending you relief, there will be no relief. I couldn't even if I wanted to. He says, there's a, there's a great chasm, a, a grand canyon between heaven and hell that no one can ever cross. So, in other words, Abraham's telling them, you can't, it's just not going to happen. You can't change teams in eternity. I used to cheer for Toronto. This is a perfect illustration. And I could see where that was taking my life. And I now cheer for, should I do I even dare say it out loud? Montreal. (laughs) Abraham saying, you don't get to change teams. What's done is done. Even if I wanted to, there's a grand canyon. There's a great chasm, and I can't go there, and you can't go here. It's just never going to happen. It's final. What's done is done. Verse 27, then the rich man said, please, changes his tone, doesn't he? Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. I have five brothers. I want him to warn them so they don't end up where I am in this place of torment. Now this is where reality finally sets in for this guy. There is no relief, there is no rescue. This is his "Oh, no moment. He gets it. It all sinks. It finally sinks in. The soul is eternal, and separation from God is real. And although he didn't love Lazarus in life, he loves his family now in death. He's thinking about his family, and he does not want his family to end up where he is. And he, he, you know, it's not like he's looking around thinking, "Well, well, if I'm stuck here, I guess I better make myself comfortable. He's thinking, somebody better go tell my family. Because this is awful, and I don't want anybody to come here. And he hits the big red button. He's like, please, Father Abraham. All of a sudden, he's filled with with evangelistic urgency. He's like, people need to know about this. People need to know that this place exists, that this is real. They need to be warned. They need to be told. People are just running right off the edge, and they don't have any clue That this exists. Please, he begs Abraham, will you send Lazarus to my father's home? Verse 29, Abraham says, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read. They can read. It's there. If they want to read it, they can read it. Moses and the prophets have already warned them. Sounds like a 60s band, Moses and the prophets. Abraham knows that their, their, their hearts are hard. His, his, his father and his brothers, he knows that their hearts are hard. They already know uh, what's been spoken. They know about God's word. They know the difference between right and wrong. They could make that choice right now if they wanted to. And Abraham tells them, even if I send zombies to their door, right, even, if I, even if someone who is dead Goes and knocks on their door, even if I send zombies to their door, they still won't believe. And Abraham's words were a foreshadow to the cross. It was Jesus' way of telling people that they have enough evidence, they have enough reasons to believe in who He is. And, and, and it's Jesus' way of saying, even if I come back from the dead, right? It's a foreshadow to the resurrection. He says, even if I come back from the dead, there will still be people who, who won't believe. They'll, 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 they'll block it out. They'll, they'll reason it out. They'll just deny it. They'll just choose to go their own way, even if I come back from the dead. Even if God sends a dead man to their door, they still won't believe. It's interesting that the rich man knows that his family is spiritually lost and that he knows the answer is for, for them, it's in verse, the end of verse 30, that he knows that the answer is for them to repent of their sins and turn to God. Now, unless he's taking a theology course in hell, he knew this before he died. He knows that the answer is somebody's got to go and tell them to repent of their sins and turn to God so he already knew that he knew the answer while he was living he just never accepted it he just didn't he didn't embrace it he didn't live it this is the gem of the story right there those words repent from their sins and turn to God that's the gleam that's the sparkle that's the glimmer in this story that Jesus put in there for us to like whoa whoa wait a second what was that and go back to it so okay What does that mean? Jesus inserts this shiny piece of truth near the end of the story. Now, Jesus didn't avoid the issue of hell. In fact, he was pretty clear about it. The purpose of his life and his death and his resurrection was to be like a giant, flashing, neon sign pointing us, pointing us towards God's grace. Giving us an opportunity to turn. Pastor Tim, is there a place in Scripture where Jesus explains this? Yes, there is. You always ask the best questions. And you know the first verse, John 3, 16. You might not be as familiar with the verses right after it. Let's read it. John three sixteen. For God, this is Jesus talking. He says, for God loved the world so much. That he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. 17, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world. Did you hear that? Sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world. To save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. But people loved the darkness more than light. For their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light. They refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. Verse 21. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Jesus would rather save you than judge you. We always go back to, well, why would a good God send people to hell? He's a good God because he doesn't want to send people to hell. To hell, He'd rather carry you than bury you. He'd rather save you than judge you. He so loved you that he sent his only son. And if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. And as we read just a minute ago here in John chapter 3, the light is there. The light is here. It's visible if you want to see it and believe it and accept it into your life today. Let's pray together. Lord again, I just thank you so much for uh, for these people. These people, God, who who you love so much. Lord, I know that we've been dealing with some some heavy topics in this series, but there are things we can't avoid either, and there are things that uh, stretch us and challenge us, and and uh, they're, they're big. But God, I know that your presence is here, and I know that you're helping us with this. Lord, I'm, my prayer right now is that people would see the light. My prayer right now, Lord, is that people would see how how much you love them, and that, God, they would they would choose today to invite your light to come into their lives uh, that they would not choose any longer to ignore it uh, but that they would, they would see this moment right now as, as a great opportunity so Lord uh, right now I want to pray and, and for anyone and lead anyone in a prayer who would like to make the decision to invite you to come into their life for the very first time. This is, this is their time, their moment, their step of faith when they're crossing the, the line of faith and saying, very simply, they can pray this out loud or they can pray this in their heart, but you just pray along with me and they'd simply say, Jesus, I believe today that you are the light of the world. You are God's son and I am inviting you to come into my life, shine your light into every area of my life right now in this moment. I want to receive you as my Savior. And I'm saying right now, Jesus, that I believe that you are God's Son, that you came to this earth and died on a cross for my sin, but that you were resurrected, and that in accepting you today, that I will spend eternity in heaven with you. And so Jesus... I give you the keys to every door in my life. I won't hold anything back. I'm inviting you to transform my life. I realize that following you is not just a decision that I make. It's a lifestyle that I choose. And I will live for you and serve you and follow you the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for, for saving me right now in this moment. Now, Lord, I want to pray for others who maybe you've been speaking to them about the Lazaruses right outside their doors. Maybe they've been tied up in their own little worlds too much and not thinking enough about uh, you and your work and how their lives can make a difference for others while we are here for a brief moment. So Lord, just help us to respond to you in obedience, I pray, in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.